Hey everybody, and thank you for joining me in the final session of our series, Matriarchs of the Bible. Today we're putting it all together. I want us to think about these women and how we see our own lives. Some people see life today as the three witches in Shakespeare's Macbeth put it, double, double toil and trouble. Well, I came across this description of life that kind of takes that into account, the the trouble in life, and it offers this real interesting perspective. And here's what it said. This life is a series of problem-solving exercises. I thought, well, that is interesting. It kind of is. One issue after another that we begin to solve, and we need to be equipped with it because we're never going to be left without problems. In, in the middle of all these situations, these challenges, we cannot learn to thrive in the situation until we find contentment. And so that's what these women were struggling with. They were trying to find contentment. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 19 says this, we should make the most of what God gives, both the bounty and the capacity to enjoy it, accepting what's given and delighting in the work. It's God's gift. God deals out joy in the present, the now. And so, do we really believe that and accept that, that God is giving us joy to experience right now? Uh, These women that we study for the most part were not finding the joy in the life that they were living. They were looking for something different, something else. So finding contentment is something most of the matriarchs struggled with, and their discontent led them to tell themselves false stories about their lives and about the other lives around them, and that's what led to bad choices. Here's where they rushed to satisfy this carnal desire instead of waiting on God and seeking his ultimate will for their lives. For thousands of years since then, we've all struggled with the same challenges, discontent in some area of life, and then the creating of wrong storylines about who we are and how God created us. And then we begin to give in to those same carnal desires and make our own bad choices. So today I want us to look at this pattern in the matriarchs and then a pattern in our own lives. And then we're going to look at some ways to disrupt that pattern so we can walk righteously with our God and live according to the plan he has for our lives. So I want us to look at this pattern of the women and some of the themes that that they had, these bad choices they made. So let's take each one and look at the choices and the results of some of those choices. So Eve, she listened to the serpent instead of God. She didn't pause. She chose physical pleasure and craving for what she saw and then a pride in achieving what God had, which was the knowledge of good and evil. And so she, she chose to sin. And then Sarah, she became impatient waiting for God. She gave Hagar to Abraham and she went along with Abraham's lies and denying that she was his wife. She craved a baby and pride to achieve drove her choices. And then she she laughed when God said she was going to have a baby, and then she denied it to God, and that's where pride entered in. Sarah took the easy way out. And then there's Rebecca. 
you know, one good thing we saw in Rebecca is she asked God what was happening to her when her babies were fighting inside her body. So she did turn to God. Well, but when it came to being an easer connecto, which means that helper beside her husband, she failed in several areas. She didn't tell her husband that God had told her that her younger son would be the leader instead of the older. And then she showed favoritism to Jacob. She ended up going along with Isaac's plan to call her his sister. Rebecca was this assertive initiator, and she didn't hesitate to take the lead. And that uh, sometimes saw, we saw her as smothering her child. Uh, so she was guilty of this smother love, just pretty much like her mother-in-law was. And then she is the one who devised a plan to trick her husband for Jacob to, to receive the blessing. So she showed her son how to deceive. Then we get to Rachel. She was tired of waiting on God for a baby. So she gave her maid, Bella, to Jacob. And then she struggled with her sister in the baby war. She struggled for contentment, and she let jealousy drive her. She stole her father's idols so that Jacob would get the major inheritance, and then she lied about it. And she ended up taking her husband for granted. And even through all that, she still was known as Mother Rachel and gave birth to Joseph and Benjamin, two of the uh, tribes of Israel. We get to Leah next, and she ended up going along with her father's deceit and married Jacob. She always struggled to feel loved. She felt insecure, less than, and discontent, and she never lo felt loved or appreciated. Finally, though, we did see her give God credit and praise him for the birth of Judah, and beautifully, that is the line that produced baby Jesus. And we finally get to the last two. These are Billa and Zilpah. These were the secondary wives of Jacob. These women had no so social standing. They were just used by the primary wives to help their sense of securities, lack, and discontent. Well, those are the choices these women made and the consequences we discussed fully for each one. Take time for a moment to look at your own circumstances and choices and conclusions and see where you went off the rails of your faith. Uh, all of these women we've talked about were women of God, and they chose to go against God's plan for their life. We do it too. We do it all the time. So take a moment of reflection, and then I want us to, to look now at how we can learn strategies from these others, strategies for choosing the way of the Father, the way that God would have us to choose. It all begins with temptation. There is nothing new under the sun, is there? Not even temptations. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 tells us the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So it's comforting for us to know that when temptation is lurking, God provides a way to overcome it. James 1 verse 14 speaks of the core sources of temptation 
as lust and enticement. So I want us to look at that. What, where, what, how does, does temptation come upon us? And this verse says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, there is the progression of being tempted by what we see, what we hear, what we desire, and what pride helps us to choose to being a a temptation that's enticing us and then dragging us away from God's plan. So I've come up with uh, several, about four things that we can get from this verse and from the verse that we have been studying in this series uh, that is found in 1 John two sixteen. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from this world. And so putting both of those verses together, I want us to look at these areas that are tempting us. First of all, it's manipulation by others. Think about Eve being tempted by the serpent. Sarah was tempted to lie by her husband, Abraham. Rebecca was tempted to lie by her husband, Isaac. This others can encourage us to stray. Number two, unjustifiable curiosity is a temptation for us. There are certain desires for knowledge that lead us to sin. And here's how it sounds. Um, I wonder how that fruit tastes. That's what got Eve in trouble. Or she also said, did God really say that was wrong? Do we actually ask the same question? Or here's how we might say, oh, maybe there's room for interpretation there. Maybe there's some wiggle room. So unjustifiable curiosity. Number three, worldly desires. Romans 1 verse 28 and 29 says this, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. So see what God did? He ended up letting those, letting those who wanted to fall into sin be a victim of their own choices. And here's what he says. Their lives then became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. All of those things, God gives us free will and choices, and we can go down that path if we choose wrongly by the world's desires. They, these are the evidences of things that grieve God and create a strain in our relationship with him. And then the fourth area of temptation that could lead us astray is FOMO, the fear of missing out. This is where we have a perception that we're losing out on something, that we're not measuring up, that we're not part of the crowd. But here's what God says about how we are to see ourselves It's in Isaiah 48, verse 17. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you. He's the one that shows us what's good and what we need to be focused on and lead you along the paths you should follow. So we should have no fear of missing out on anything except an eternal life with him. Well, all of the matriarchs were influenced in at least one of these ways. 
each one was tempted to sin by one or more of the, the following influences. The serpent, a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, or the culture. Those were the big broad categories. Some of them were manipulated. Some acted out of curiosity. Some were driven by worldly desires. And had they all were faced with immoral and godly temptations and fearful of missing out on something they thought should be happening in their lives. I emailed some of our WOW sisters this week, those who had attended every ses- session, and I asked them this question. What general advice might you have given these matriarchs to help them stay faithful at their time of temptation? <coughs> oh, I got so many good answers, and here are some of those. Sister, you must decide before you are tempted to live God's way. Then you know how to handle any situation. Ask yourself, what is the right way? And then someone wrote this to Sister Eve. When something is appealing to the eyes, it's usually for the purpose of temporary pleasure. I suggest you give that desire 24 hours, and if it still seems like something you want, run it by your husband and see if he can support your desire. Pause, reflect, and readjust when necessary. Isn't that good advice? Someone wrote this to dear sister Leah. Leah, you may have been second choice, but you still made the right decision to believe in God. Here's another one to Leah. You desire love and recognition from your husband, but you have so much more from your heavenly father. When you are feeling unloved, Think about the one who calls you his favorite and loves you unconditionally. Here's another one. Dear sister, I encourage you to turn to Jesus and run everything through the filter of Scripture before acting ahead of God. I understand you may have many strong influences by family members, friends, and even creatures. However, I encourage you to pause, breathe, think, and maybe even sleep on it while pondering and praying this, what would God have me do in this situation? Aren't these beautiful, wonderful words of wisdom coming from our own wow sisters? And here's one that I thought was so lovely. It was words from a hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. She would have said, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to the world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. So wonderful to be surrounded by such wise women. A strong support system helps us in the ups and downs of life. But do we call on them? Are we afraid to be vulnerable and share? Would any of our matriarchs have reached out to a stronger woman for guidance? Do we reach out only to vent but not to get advice? It's something for us to remember that we have, even within our group, this army of wonderful, wise women that can certainly pour into us when we are having our moments of temptation. Well, in this next session, a session of our lesson today, I wanted to go over how I might have coached 
these women. So I'm going to give you some strategies I use when coaching. First of all, I would say, who are you? This answer is very revealing. Uh, I usually do a personality assessment and a value assessment because I want to learn about who, who, how God has created you. And, and I also want to know about your spiritual walk. So then this reveals who you are and what your areas of weakness are. So self-identification is the, the first step. And then the next is, what are your circumstances? What's the situation that has you stymied or stuck? And then what is the story you're telling yourself about this circumstance? So I listen for the struggle that a woman has between herself and her circumstance. Since all of the women that we studied were women of God, I want to hear the story she's telling herself about her circumstance and the trouble she seems to be in. Uh, So are they each trying to violate one of God's principles? And so it might sound like this, I know I probably shouldn't do so-and-so, but, and then there's always this explanation and justification. Is she paying attention to her values and her spiritual self in, in this circumstance? Or does she say things like, I just can't do this anymore? And is she in her circumstance feeling less than? Is she living in fear and intimidation? Because she then might need to be reminded of who she actually is. Do you remember in the book and the movie, The Help, we had the character Abilene, who is the, the nursemaid for the young girl. And she teaches this young girl who she is. And she says, you is kind, you is smart, and you is important. Those are the three things she keeps reminding the young girl of. And as soon as the young girl, May Mobley, begins to talk, Abilene is having her repeat this self-affirmation. And when Abilene is forced to leave the household, she reminds May Mobley of those words one last time. You is kind, you is smart, you is important. See, sometimes we need that reminder of who we are in Christ. You are a daughter of a king, dearly loved and protected and cared for. And those sisters needed to be reminded of that in their circumstances. Another coaching question I would say, well, what are your choices and which one reflects who you want to be when the decision is made? See, this means that the woman needs to dig into what she values, what her priorities are, what would God's will be for her life Is she choosing a carnal path or a godly path? And so that would be an important aspect of figuring out how to to choose. And then I ask a question, what are you willing to do in order to choose well? Well, this involves choosing to sacrifice self, choosing to go against the culture, choosing perhaps to go against someone else's influence, and choosing to be uncomfortable The next question is, what do you need to feel empowered to choose well? Well, this is where I give 
strategies for each circumstance. And so I came up with some of the most common strategies that I use, and many of these I've already taught you, and some of these we've talked about in, even in this series. I would teach them strategies that would help them to, to be the tools they need in their circumstance when they're trying to decide how to be. The first one is the Oreo cookie technique, where you sandwich your your corrections or your critical feedback between two honest, positive statements. It might sound like this from Sarah. Abraham, I know you want to protect me. We also know God will protect me, so we don't need to tell a partial truth about being your half-wife, I mean half-sister and wife. I'm sure you'll follow God's path. So there's that Oreo cookie sandwich technique. Uh, And then I would use this strategy, check in with your spouse. You are his ezer connecto. You're his helper, sustainer beside. And having the conversation between the two as equals is really important. The next one is to observe the gap. Remember, God gave you seconds between an incoming attack and your outgoing response. Use that time to press pause and choose well. So pressing pause means you stop and you think about your choices. You take a deep breath. You decide who you want to be on the other side of the decision. And speak of taking a breath, it's when you pause and collect yourself You inhale through the nose for a count of three. You hold for four, and then you blow out like through a straw for a count of five. And it helps to re-engage the rational part of your brain. I often advise to reframe your story. That means to identify those negative thoughts that you've been having, those items in the story that aren't revealing truth, and you replace them with God-given truths. The practice of identifying and stopping these distortions is crucial in breaking this cycle of stress and anxiety and depression that people get stuck in. And here, uh, that this is done Uh, when you do these things, renew your mind. This is an important strategy. You take off the old self, who you used to be, the patterns you used to have, and you put on your new self. Or you take off the cultural perspective, and you put on a biblical perspective. You take off the lies, and you replace them with the truth. As you renew your mind, you go back into scripture and you live out that scripture. And then uh, the final strategy is to switch your thinking. I have to practice this all the time. If I begin to go down the worry train or have an unkind or unpleasant thought, I identify it and I become intentional about changing what I'm thinking about. I find the good in the situation or the good in the person that I'm having unhealthy thoughts about. It's a hard but good practice to develop. Well, in the end, after all of these questions and all of these strategies and tips and and reframing and redoing, in the end, everybody has to make a choice to either align with God or self. The question is who or what controls the heart 
I read a quote by author Dr. Paul David Tripp that says, whatever controls your heart will set the morals by which you live. I really want God to control my heart. So no matter my circumstances, my heart then will lead me to wise choices. Well, in order for me to live faithfully, in order for each matriarch to live faithfully, in order for each of you to live faithfully, we need to know our areas of weakness and our areas of temptation. So I'm going to give you four thyself statements. <laughs> know thyself. Be a student of you. Practice self-reflection. Know your personality strengths and weaknesses. Know your desires and values. Know your temptations. Know the company you keep. And reflect on the times you've fallen short and recognize your role in that. Knowing yourself will help you protect yourself better. So the first one is know thyself. The second is prepare thyself. I can prepare myself by using tips and strategies to help me when I face the temptation. I just gave a whole list of them. I can observe that gap and press pause and pray and do my deep breathing and reframe things and turn away from things and renew my mind and think on other things. I can be prepared for when the temptation comes. And then I can do this. Number three, protect thyself. And I protect myself by wearing my armor. It's found in Ephesians 6, verses 7, 14 through 17. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See, if I take all of that with me everywhere I go, I have armed myself for the, uh, the temptation that is getting ready to come from Satan's arrows. And then the last one is look out for thyself. When and where does Satan show up? Well, if you know yourself... You know he's going to show up in your weak areas. That is when Satan will come knocking. So be on the lookout when you fall into a weak area. That's when Satan's coming. You know, for me, it's always behind my lips and my vocal cords. <laughs> it's, it's my mouth. It's my tongue. I know that about myself. I know when I'm tempted to say things passionately, when somebody's doing not following the rules or telling me I'm wrong when I know I'm right or just generally being stupid. So since I know this about myself, I have caution tape that runs through my visual mind. I know when I am in the moment of temptation to do the things that I'm armed to, armed to do, that I've prepared myself to do, that I have put on myself. Uh, I and no, I will need to press pause. I'll need to take a breath. I need to say a prayer. I need to keep my, keep my lid closed uh, so that the prefrontal cortex is covering the amygdala. 
I, I know I need to say and practice the Bible verse that is so important to me in Psalm 141.3. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. And then I have to think about who I want to be on the other side of this situation. It sounds like something like this. Do I want to be right or relational? Or do I want to be right and go to jail? <laughs> or is it okay to be right silently? Or sometimes it sounds like this. It doesn't matter if I'm right. See, in other words, I have to know my tendencies. I have to do that self-reflection to determine that. And then I have to set up a plan for myself so that I can stay faithful. So in general terms, as followers of Christ, we have a responsibility to be a faithful representative of him in everything we think, feel, say, and do. We are to be mindful in every situation that the evil one does not want us to be a faithful representative of the one true God. And we must be determined never to let the evil one take control of what we think and feel and say and do. Now, some I know may be struggling with ongoing repeated patterns of bad choices or bad behavior or bad thinking or bad relationship dramas or anything else that is not aligned with God's plan for right living. Well, I suggest if this is a pattern, then you probably have never really self-reflected to the degree that you can identify your area of weakness or sin and have not been willing to own it. Perhaps you've been in denial or stubbornly rejecting a truth that others can see, or you're making excuses that sound like this, that's just who I am, or that's how God created me, or I'm too old to change, or I can't change. Well, those words defy the promises of God found in Scripture. Romans 12, verse 2 says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That word tells us that we can change. We can change anything, and we can change it at any time, at any age, by the renewing of your mind, that you prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you can't figure it out on your own, find trusted godly friends or family members or therapists or a coach who can help you. We can transform. Eve transformed her life. She gave God credit for the birth of her third child, Seth. She and Adam did as God asked. They moved on and started anew. Sarah transformed her life. Rebecca never did. Rachel never did. Leah ended up giving credit for her fourth child, but she never fully transformed to a belief that she was dearly loved by God and could trust him for her future. Where are you on the transformation scale? I want to tip the scale toward transforming my life to follow God and his principles so that I can live in my God-given purpose. I hope that is your wish also. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the study of these women, for what we can learn through their lives, through their mistakes, 
help us, Father, to examine our own lives, to think deeply about where we are in our relationship to you and our relationship to others. Help us to determine if there is an area where we need a transformation. Help us to live faithfully so that we can transform our lives and so that we will be able to make the wise choices that will be fully aligned with your perfect will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you all for tuning in to this series. I hope you've enjoyed it and you found it helpful, and I'd love to hear from you.